0: Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think, from mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching, dramatic action-adventure novels. Our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages, eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com STR for three totally free thrillers you won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com slash str.
1: You have somehow ended up listening to The Stuff That's Real That You Didn't Know Was Real But Also Is Cool Podcast Or... Sturdy Dickwer Bayek. or, uh, never mind.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're so glad you're with us. You already know who we are by now, so we're just going to jump right into the rant. I think Kevin today is talking about Apple and why it's awesome in every way. <laughs>
1: yes no because this is stuff that's true
0: oh that's right (laughs) and also it's cool (laughs) yeah we're both apple fanboys and have been for many years but god they just continue to piss us off in ways
1: that they don't even acknowledge ways that they
0: won't even acknowledge that's the frustrating part
1: that is the frustrating part because you i mean you tell them about a problem here's a problem and it's a way for you to make things better for your user base. And it would cost you almost nothing to do, yep. but you will never get that problem to them. And if they do ever recognize it as a problem, they'll never acknowledge it. Nope. They'll just, if it's ever fixed at all, it will be quietly fixed in the
0: background and never yes. mentioned, <laughs> never mentioned. <laughs> I've done that before where I've submitted this, you know, a known bug that everyone on Reddit or whoever, whatever forum is complaining about and then they'll fix it and i'll read through the update you know the os update and it won't say anything about it it'll just say other security bugs and fixes and improvements or something like that Mm -hmm. come on frustrating yeah that is frustrating anyway we are actually not not talking about that yeah and that's not why we're here that might be why you're here sorry to disappoint
1: (laughs) uh we're not talking about apple
0: bitch (laughs) <laughs> yeah. no actually you want to kick us off with some some interesting yeah. stuff that's real that's also cool that you didn't know was yeah. cool or real or somewhere in between this, but- is, a, this is an
1: interesting one too because i i am no geologist i don't and it's never been a intrinsically a great interest of mine but it has been sort of a one of those like you end up kind of taking an interest in geology if you are also interested in anthropology and and other uh areas of archaeology because geology has an impact on culture you know so and the way humans live and interact so this is a this story actually comes out of and i'm gonna butcher some chinese here and not chinese humans but the chinese language give me some leeway here but this story comes out of a the southwest region of china and the it's from mount Gangdang, gandang mount gandang um and it says, so basically what's happening in this region is that there is something known as the egg-laying mountain. And more specifically, it's an egg-laying cliff in the region. The Mandarin for which is Chandanya, which means egg-laying cliff. Because every 30 years, it lays, quote-unquote, some stone eggs, um, also quote-unquote. This was kind of fascinating to me because <clears throat> the cliff is not very cool. big. It's about 20 feet wide by about 65 feet long, which, as the article points out, is is pretty small compared to the rest of the mountain. Uh, And on (laughs) average, every 30 years or so, the cliff will lay a stone egg from its side. And once the egg is released from the cliff, it says it falls to the ground where it can be found by the first local who is lucky enough. To stumble upon it. Lucky is a a key operating word here, by the way, because these eggs are considered to be good fortune. People in the region, like children, as soon as the children are old enough to actually walk around on their own and, and go hunt for these things, they go looking to see if they'll get lucky enough to find one. And the local legends are that, you know, this has been going on, by the way, for hundreds of years. And the locals see these things as providing protection to themselves, their village, the animal population, everybody. And the people who live in this region are China's shui population. I may be butchering that, but apparently, this is another fun fact I learned from this article, but apparently there are 56 officially recognized ethnic groups in China, which I had no idea. And so that's interesting to learn. And the Shui have been living in the region since before the Han dynasty. So that's quite a ways back. Um, Yeah. Here's what's really interesting. This is the, so there's all kinds of, there's a synchronicity here that I think is kind of interesting, but so the Shui, their name is translated into the word "water" in their language, and so the, and that's because they, they that pe- that group of people lived n- always lived near rivers and streams and oceans. They have they're kind of like the Eskimos in a way, where they have a lot of different words for for fish. Yeah. It's a big part of their language, and their all their traditions, their folklore, everything about their culture revolves around water. So these eggs tend to be droplet shaped, okay, and tend to be blue in hue. They're kind of a dark color, but they're they go from sort of blue to black. So they're very they're kind of like water droplets in a way. In more ways than one, because apparently they are made up of silica, I believe. I'll have to silica dioxide, yeah. Yeah. Silica dioxide. And so here's a theory about what's happening. The mountain itself is made up of sedimentary rock. Okay, the kind of the kind you typically find in any mountain or any cliff. But the eggs are made up of silica dioxide. Which the one of the going theories is that back in the is it Precambrian? Is that the, the name of the age? Oh yeah, uh, Cambrian pre- age. Precambrian. Uh, the Cambrian period. So that was five hundred million years ago, right? So they think that the base materials for this were kind of floating around. And because it's silica-based, it tends to form spheres, droplets, even if it's in a medium like water or something. Like it tends to collect to itself. And then if it ends up embedded in sediment, you know, it stays in that shape. So the theory right now is that 500 million years ago, there was this upheaval of lava and things, lava and other stuff that formed the mountains, or, and tectonic shifts formed the mountains. And these silica eggs ended up being buried within the sediment. And over millions of years, the rock, that rock wears down faster than the silica dioxide rock. And so eventually it sort of works its way out and then drops down the side of the mountain. So the whole mountain, since it's made of this rock, could be full of these eggs and then it's a process of natural erosion that reveals them and lets them fall um, to the ground now because this region is populated for the past several you know past couple of thousand years or so the wear and tear on this part of the mountain is heavier than it would be through natural processes with people moving up and down and animals and that sort of thing so that's why it's on this cadence of every 30 years they get a they it births a new stone egg. So uh, huh. these things are collected by the villagers. They're kind of swapped around. they they take very good care of them. They're very reverent toward them. You know, they in some cases they factor into like religious ceremonies. They they're worshipped at times. But yeah, it's a very interesting phenomenon. And uh, apparently, it's happened in other regions of the world. But it's it's never quite as prevalent as it has been in china china is full
0: of stuff like this by the way I don't know yeah if- and because of their their anti-humanitarian government we'll never know about half of the shit that they the cool stuff right. they have over there
1: right yeah I, ha- I almost hate giving uh any sort of praise to china uh, right. because of their right. their policies and the the genocide that they're perpetuating but to be but clear it's the government not the people it's are the government it's not the, government, government, the people this is by the way the same yeah, this is the same perspective I have on Russia. You know, it's Putin right. and the government that's invading Ukraine, exactly. not the
0: Russian not people. The people. Yeah, but uh, that, that's
1: government. political, and we try to avoid being political because I get we in, try. I we get
0: try. ranty. Yeah. As everyone uh, knows, everything can be over politicized anyway. So yeah, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Yeah, this is you cool, let, man. This, I've you're never. You're gonna, seen gonna slap like... it like
1: Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. That's what you're oh, gonna do,
0: man. <laughs> the best. <laughs> so. Anyway, wow, this is pretty sweet, man. I've never seen or heard of anything like this. And, you know, so the article you sent me, I love this website because it's great for my my book research. Yeah, probably not the best in terms of meta studies on scientific uh, research papers. Uh, right. But ancientorigins.net is a lot of fun. And so when I first saw this, I was like, okay, you know, what's really going on here? I kind of always take everything with a grain of salt with this website. However, turns out this one is absolutely real. And it's just a very cool phenomenon, right? I yeah. mean, and which is i which i love because it's not you know because this website is is open to people writing any article they want it doesn't mean everything is is false right and it right. just goes to show that just like with other websites i don't know the news wikipedia doesn't uh, mean everything there is factual right
1: so that you know what i'm going to use that as an opening to talk about something real quick is that okay do, do it All right I'm, I'm speaking to mostly the author crowd but even if you are just a, a reader who likes to share things you discover on on Twitter or somewhere research in this form is is something so you can go to a site like this and you can find a story that's interesting and then go use that as the foundation to go do further research right right so just because it says it on Wikipedia or CNN or ancient origins or, or any of those sites doesn't make it true and doesn't make it factual, but it is something you can use to gauge other work. You can go off and say, okay, look, I found this article on ancient origins says that these things are silica dioxide based. You know, What does that translate to? And you can go find articles about that process and about people who are researching this. If they name a scientist, go find that scientist, look at their background to see if they've got papers you know this it, and it doesn't have to even be all that time consuming but you can fact check your own stuff before you go sharing it now as a thriller author i don't always fact check the things that i find on sites like this if i'm going to use it in a book unless right, i'm we're
0: writing fiction because right? we're
1: writing fiction right and i'm using it as inspiration and a launch point so if you are reading a thriller novel and getting mad because it's not factually accurate, you have missed the point of the fictional thriller <laughs> uh, novel that you are reading. Yep. Is uh, is one point I can make, but yes, in terms so, of research, a lot of what you and I do, I mean, we're uh, it's very factual. And a lot of times, I will make something up, and readers will say, "You know, I went and looked this up, and I was astounded to see this. I had no idea that this was a real thing." I'm like, "I didn't either. I made it up on the spot." So. Sometimes that's the way it works out.
0: Yeah, man, I'm with you. I think um, I think of it as, you know, I you come across an article like this and you've found the pool. Now yeah. it's time to dive in. Yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, you know, a lot of times, the stuff on these websites isn't real. Uh, but what they are is just like in our fiction. It's a theory or an opinion based on things that are real. Yeah, and that's where that's what I really like coming up with myself is these. So Atlantis is a great example, right? Like yeah. The- there are some absolutely factual things about Atlantis. Like Plato did write about Atlantis. He did hear about it from an Egyptian named Solon. You know, there's a, there's the rumor, right? That is the truth behind Atlantis. Yeah. Obviously we've never found it, which only means that it's ripe for picking, right? Like we get to put it where we want and make a good case right. of where it might be. It's fiction. We're not trying to win a Nobel prize and, you know, find Atlantis for real. But this is exactly how science should work is taking yeah. something that's really fun and interesting to us and trying to factually disprove it by saying, well, what if it's here? Why couldn't it be here? Yeah, and then we just keep trying to uncover ways why it couldn't. Well, Atlantis, you know, was an island. Okay, well, it probably can't be in the middle of North America, but I don't know. Maybe there's a interpretation of that, right? I don't know. I just I think that's kind of cool. Maybe it was North America, but with stuff like this, I mean, yeah, man, I look at the website initially, I'm like, okay, I know what I'm getting into. I've, I know the website Ancient Origins very well. I know what to expect from it. I know that it's written by people who, you know, and I trust me, I have no very high opinions of most quote unquote anthropologists and archaeologists because I don't think they're scientists but uh, but I know these aren't written by archaeologists and so I'm like okay well I gotta understand that as I'm going through here right yeah and yeah and so then I see see an article like this and I'm like all right well I'm gonna I'm gonna read this and you know it's gonna be interesting I'm gonna have to go verify this somewhere else as best I can because even then I don't really know if I'm reading something true yeah but it's just, anyway, that's part of the process. Uh,
1: by the way, I do think archaeologists and anthropologists are scientists, so just putting that out there. I do not. <laughs> they are scientists. They are not. They, have, they use a scientific method. They, they do not. They publish. They, they do, should. in fact. They
0: should. They do not. Okay. That's my point.
1: I think the majority of of archaeologists in academia, in particular, are, are not behaving like scientists a lot of the time, but...
0: I mean, that is, it is a science. It is a field. Science. That's correct. <laughs> so yeah. that is a science, but it, you have to perform science according to the method we have all identified as the true scientific method yeah. in order to call yourself one. And if you refuse to acknowledge any other idea and opinion other than the one you've been shoved well, this down is your throat true. by your academic opinions. Yeah. I do you.
1: agree with that i, I don't think, call you
0: a scientist i think so, that
1: there are scientists though still within that field yes and, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm
0: i'm getting ranty i think yeah. what i'm really saying is what you said you know academia has a yeah. very big problem we talk about this a lot on the show yeah with anthropologists and archaeologists not being scientists but being professors and there's a difference yeah. one just has to publish papers and, and try to be relevant well and the other one actually has to go and do science right and you know like you said,
1: we've talked about this before. If you have someone's entire livelihood tied to uh, whether or not they're willing to push the whatever line that university or that facility or whatever is pushing, then you have a conflict of interest. And so science can't be done. I mean, right. it just can't. If It's not just archaeology. I mean, you know, look at well, of course, happening. we you, just know, we mentioned that a lot. Of the books our books are, you
0: know, a right? Lot of books are we are basically better scientists than half these academic, <laughs> academic <laughs> right? Well, not because we know more, but because we actually are willing to discover for ourselves and form yeah. opinions based on. Well, I do
1: apply, I, I apply the scientific method frequently. And even I am biased occasionally, but I, you know, I do apply the scientific method to, to my research. And, yeah. You know, I have an engineering background. I have, you know, I have worked in the fields of science in my career at times. And so that was always drilled into me. But so it's always astounding to me when when I'm following somebody who is supposed to be a scientist and they're very, they're acting in a very unscientific way, you know. Yeah, there's there's just some of these guys. I'm like, you're just you're not a scientist. You're a troll. You're just out, you know, trying to get attention for yourself. And and you don't care about reality or truth. You only care about points. And which is why everything is so messed up right now. Nobody knows what to trust because of that, because science lost its integrity. But that's
0: uh, what I'm saying. That's a whole other thing, though. The whole other thing, which <laughs> was, we'll talk about on every single episode. Probably of this, every episode you were here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because what we do is, is, I mean, it's important to to acknowledge that there is a truth. There is an objective truth out there about what happened before we got here. Yeah. And, and that truth is misconstrued by natural causes. Like we don't, we weren't around when these, you know, Chinese eggs were formed. You know, in the bowels of this mountain—that's 500 million years ago. So we're best yeah. guess, and we yeah. can make some pretty good guesses on that because we can identify what the you know material is that the eggs are made out of, and what the you know the rock is limestone, all that. <clears throat> but when it comes to anything that involved humanity, that you know we break down and go away. There's not a good record for this. There's not a good fossil record, you know, for all the animals that lived prior to uh, to us. Right, and and so it just becomes very challenging to make an objective, like factual claim about anything that happened prior to 10,000 years ago, because we're just using our, our our knowledge that we've gained over many generations. And the problem I have is when people who claim to be scientists refuse to acknowledge that new information might come to light and how to parse it properly. They refuse to acknowledge that this could fit into a theory that might change their, their objective truth.
1: That's the part that gets me is that as a person of science – to to me, it's exciting when you discover that assumptions might be wrong. I mean, it's Correct. just because that's it's true. new, right? Yeah. I don't. And just from a purely inquisitive standpoint, if I if I'm looking at something and say, "Oh yeah, this is the same stuff we've been saying about this for the past, you know, hundred years, two hundred years," that's not interesting to me anymore. Right. I know that fact. I can verify that fact, and life goes on. It has no intrinsic impact on my life or the way I think. But when I look at something and say, for the past hundred years, we've thought in this direction, and now we've got evidence that points us in this other direction, that's exciting. I mean, that's the kind of, you should be, look as a scientist, you should be looking to disprove everything.
0: It's it's exactly (laughs) going back to the Atlantis thing. I've got three really good working theories on where Atlantis could be, Mm -hmm. right? It's not my job. Let's say I was an Atlantis scientist, right? If that was a thing. It's not my job to double down on one of those. That's not yeah. what people want. Like I could, but that's it's not, not a what sports I'm team to do. <laughs> yeah. I don't it doesn't matter who wins. And that's what that's what happens, is I, I would get points in academic uh, you know, circles for doubling down on one theory and disproving all the other theories so that mine can't be disproven. Well, that's not the opposite of science, right? That's right. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. That's the thing if, that, that has
1: the academia has turned, in particular, not just academia, but co- corporate uh, funding and academia have turned science into a zero-sum game. You yes, know? right. It, it, if if you're right, then it means I lost, and so yep. that all the funding goes away, all the research goes away. Should be the exact opposite. I mean, as a, if I am trying to be on the cutting edge of technology, for example, then I want to pay my team. To, not to prove how right i am right. but to prove how wrong something is go f- right. figure right. out you know is there is it true just off the top of my head is it true that there's a radiation belt that that could harm us if we get into space beyond you know say a certain region of space is it there right is it is it deadly or is it useful for something you know, go tell me, find ways to test it that, uh, that we might, that might lead to innovation, you know, yeah, absolutely. And culturally and, anth- and in an anthropo- anthropological sense, that's absolutely what we should be doing. <laughs> tell me that humans are, you know, let's, let, let's leave room for the idea that humans maybe were around more than the past, you know, what's the current 12,000 years, 14,000 years may, what if they were around, you know, 10 million years ago, yeah, how do exactly. we find that out? And in trying to find that out, it's the shoot for the moon, because you'll if you miss, you'll end up among the stars. I mean, let's shoot for the moon on figuring out how far back human culture goes and how right. far back things like human technology might go. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> Slash end rant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, right. that's, it's, it's important stuff. I mean, I, it is important stuff. It's important
1: do, on so many levels, but it's important in the context of this show and what we do. It's important because we're a lot of times fiction writers are the only ones asking these questions and digging into these issues. A lot right. of times, exactly. Ar- Arthur C. Clarke mm-hmm. is is the intellectual father of the geosynchronous orbit, which among was, many other things, you know, among I mean, many, you many computers
0: other from from these before, guys from science fiction writers,
1: right? And before he pitched that as a science fiction idea, it was scoffed at the very that idea, right? You know, like many precepts and concepts in in uh, science. Anyway. anyway, anyway,
0: what's your topic? <laughs> <laughs> well, moving away from the the hard science and and history, I came across this, and you know I'm going to Florida later this year. We were going to go. We've been already. We went to Disney World. Yeah, we're going over to the other side of of the stick later this year. You'll be there, and I've just I was just coming and trying to find things to do with my wife who's going to be going with me unfortunately we canceled the trip where we were going to go with our kids this summer. But this topic is actually something I found because I was looking for things to do with them. And I couldn't believe it because my kids are the ultimate princesses, the ultimate mermaids. They live and, and breathe this princess stuff. Right. And yeah. so I came across this article about the city of live mermaids. Yeah. And you know, I stopped I paused. it by It It caused me to pause because I've come across stuff like this. Right. When we were in Hawaii, there was a, There is a place called Wet n Wild, which is a a small uh, water park. And they have paid, you know, actors, actresses that come out and dress as mermaids. They take pictures with the kids and all that. It's cute and fun. My kids are also at the age where they know that's not real. And it's because they're just, you know, they're just kind of faking it. And so when I was reading this article, I was, I kept looking for ways that it was going to be, well, cheesy, I guess. Yeah. Right. I, I was like, oh, this seems kind of hokey. This seems a little weird. It's Florida, right? So you can kind of get away with anything. You just have a living room full of alligators and people will pay money to go in. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so I came across this one. With, you know, it's in Florida. It's in Wiki Wachee Springs State Park. And they call it the City of Live Mermaids. And I was reading it. It turns out this is 75 years into their, their tradition of, of live mermaid show. And as I just was reading about it, I was like, this is really cool, actually. And I would yeah. love to go check this out. The story is there was a guy, he actually is, was a professional swimmer, incredibly strong swimmer, and was of the, trained the precursor to the Navy SEALs, the frogmen, right, in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And so he helped train them. He owned some land out in, in Florida in Wikiwachi, near the WikiWache River, actually owned basically the mouth of the Wachee River. And it was literally a, a dump at the time he bought it. I think it was like 46 or something. He he had a team come in and, you know, I guess he wanted to, to swim there or do some kind of, I don't know what his plan was at the time. He had no idea any of this, uh, this stuff that we're about to talk about existed because it was literally a dump. There was stuff in the river all over the place. So he paid a team to clean it up. And what they discovered was what's called a first magnitude spring. Well, I didn't know what this is, but it's a natural spring. So think about water coming out of the ground. Yeah. Uh, fresh water, super clear. And there's different magnitudes of springs, apparently. A first magnitude spring is one that's over 50 million gallons of water or something a, a day that comes out of the ground. Yeah. <clears throat> so, there's a ton of water. It's basically the biggest categorization of, of spring. There's a spring science somewhere that somebody's saying, you know, measure all these spring sizes and this tiny little hole and this is a big hole. So, the big hole is a first magnitude one. This one is actually twice that size. So, it's like a first magnitude spring. It's like 100 million gallons of water are dumping out into this Wiki River. And it, it runs like seven miles into the Gulf. So it's a huge amount of fresh water. And it's 250 feet deep, uh, right? It's where this spring comes up. And this is exactly where this guy owned this land. So he cleans it all up and realizes that he's got both the Florida sunlight coming down, you know, illuminating all the way down to the, not 250 feet deep, but all the way down like 20, 30 feet because it's so crystal clear. So you got great lighting and it's beautiful and it's super fresh water. Yeah. And so what he did was he would do like these little plays underwater, like you'd wait like a table down and he would have women and men come and play cards around the table underwater. Yeah. At the same time, he built this really cool and pretty incredible for the time, underwater viewing auditorium, basically, right? So it's like a hundred foot auditorium where, you know, there's a viewing window, curtain raises up and you see into the water, the naturally lit water from the sun. So you can see people swimming around in there, you can see them sitting at the bottom. And naturally back in the 40s, when there was nothing else to do but fight wars and you know, come home and <laughs> yeah. have kids, this was a huge roadside attraction. Well, I shouldn't say huge. It was actually it took a while uh, to kind of build up a reputation. But these performers actually would go out to the highway and and try to like flag people down and say, Come check out our underwater mermaid exhibit thing. Cause it was, you know, it was a small time roadside attraction. But it grew over time, it, it got a reputation. And Elvis visited at one point. There was a lot of celebrities that would come by this area near St. Petersburg, I think. Yeah. So you can imagine where it is in the Gulf. And he, he he just kept building this show, basically. And at one point, there was a, a troop, like a, a roving band of mermaid women, <laughs> professional synchronized swimmers, which I guess was another big thing mm-hmm. in the 40s and 50s, right? You've seen all the old movies. And these ladies were very talented, and they could do some pretty cool stuff. And so they would... Apparently they were called the Aqua Bells and they would, I think, travel around. And this was one of their favorite places to perform because of just the natural light that was coming in. And of course there's an underwater viewing chamber. So you can see it from underwater rather than from above. Anyway, they eventually decided to stay full time and they became the mermaids that perform. And the same show basically has been going on for 75 years now where – these mermaids live and work here in Wikiwachi State Park, and they perform every single day. And of course, as they as the mermaids age, they age out and they get new ones in. And, and it's like this grueling process to even become a mermaid. People come from as far as Japan to go be a mermaid here because apparently this is like the most real place you can, you can perform as a mermaid, right? So if you have a dream, you're a little young girl and you want to be a mermaid one day, this is like the closest you're ever going to get. They do the Little Mermaid show. They kind of adapt it a little bit. They do a theater production of Little Mermaid. I was reading they actually have a synchronized audio inside the auditorium, of course, so we can hear it, but then underwater as well. And then whenever they talk, the the mermaids will move their mouth and, and say the line. So the whole thing is synced up, and it's this really elaborate show. Wow. And then going back to the original guy, Perry, who started this thing. He had this at the time. Again, I always say at the time because now it seems pretty obvious. But he discovered that if you put an air hose underwater with a nozzle on it, it's like a straw that you can get air from. So these wombats will just go underwater. They'll stand underwater literally for hours performing. Yeah, yeah, and they'll breathe by by going down under where you can't see them anymore and breathing out of these hoses. <clears throat> Some of the early pictures, you know, you can see the hose in the shot. They're carrying them around, finds. Anyway, so it's. The more and more I was reading about this, I was like, this actually isn't cheesy at all. This is actually really cool. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I thought it was cheesy was, uh, you know, you know me, I'm from Texas. I went to Texas State University, home of the Bobcats. And when I got there, the school had just changed over from kind of the small town, local, you know, backyard school called Southwest Texas State University. When I got there, there was 35,000 people there. They had just changed the name. And there was this attraction in San Marcos, Texas, called Wonderworld and the or actually that was a different, yeah, it was another one that shut down, but there was this place called Aquarina Springs and that's how you pronounce it because we're all white and Aquarina Springs had um, the only underwater swimming pig show in the world. And if you think that might sound pretty cheesy, you would be correct. It was pretty lame, but it was, you know, it's like fun, right? It's like country fun, a bunch of country bumpkins swimming around with a pig and just like this, you could go underwater and there's like an underwater viewing thing. And I think they had a submarine at one point, but very hokey, very cheesy. They eventually sold it off to the university and it became like a like an underwater biological research complex kind of thing or whatever. But anyway, I, I was imagining that when I was reading this article. And I'm like, oh, it's you know, a bunch of you know, mermaid dreamers want, you know, just swimming around underwater. And I'm reading this. And I'm like, dang, this, they put a lot of effort into this. Yeah, I mean. Right off the bat, in order to become a mermaid, you have to swim 500 yards into the current. (laughs) And then you have to tread water for 10 minutes. I'm like, I became a lifeguard in high school and I could barely do a a half that, you know, swim. And I was never a super strong swimmer anyway. But I mean, this is crazy, man. Yeah. And then, you know, only then they get to perform and then show off their water aerobic skills. So this is a real deal. I mean, this this is legit. If you wanted to be a mermaid, this is how you do it. They have a whole collection, a library of tales. They get to choose from when they perform. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's really so it's pretty cool, man. I, I really want to go see this. I I'm want to trying, take kids. I'm, kits, I'm but... trying
1: to just scroll in through the article, look, and things <laughs> just kind of keep catching my attention, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's uh, cool stuff. This has been around. This is they're they're in their 75th year, it says. This has been around yeah. forever. And yeah. Uh, and you know, they had uh, it's it says that you know it would attract celebrities like it says Don Knotts, Esther Williams, and Elvis Presley, uh, which is, you know, just kind of cool. That's the, you know, I love stuff like this, by the way. I used to hate this kind of thing growing up because it always <laughs> felt so awkward and dated and whatever. Yeah, and yeah. now it just feels uh, warmly nostalgic
0: it, to it see does. stuff like yeah. this. And then something like this, it actually, it, it, they, they actually changed the show. Like they'll do Christmas specials. They'll do The mm-hmm. Little Mermaid, like I said. They'll do some other stuff. Yeah, um, they update it, you know. it's so like, this yeah. isn't just a, a dorky little let's play cards underwater. Like, there's a picture before they're all holding their hoses, and I'm like, okay, the suspension of disbelief would be entirely lost on me yeah. if I just see them sucking out of a hose while they're just playing cards. Because I, I did that when I was a kid, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but then you see some of the later shots, and it's oh, this is pretty cool. Like they're actually doing so like music and dancing and, and talking and stuff. You know? Am I
1: am I writing in? This is. The spring and everything is open air, right? Like it's open to it is, I think. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I mean, and they have fish and it says oh the, yeah, yeah,
0: you're right. there's yeah, certain fighting like, through
1: manatees, right? Uh-huh. Okay. So this is Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're going with this. And so how do you keep alligators out of this thing?
0: I searched the article and there's no mention of alligators. I I no. have to imagine they so the guy owns the land. I guess it's all state park now. Yeah. But the state park exists. I mean, there's, a, there's somebody quoted in the article. She went to go work as a mermaid during when they were transitioning from private land to state park, and it was their job. It was her job. She became head of this whole thing to do the transition. well. So the state park basically exists for this mermaid yeah. show. Yeah. Um, that's why people go to Weeki Wachee State Park. So I would imagine there's some kind of mitigation, just like they do at, at, at Disney World. And 99.999% of the time, no children get eaten by alligators yeah. at Disney World. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. There's always that one. one. Well, it point. happened like five, six years ago. So when yeah. my <laughs> wife and I were there, we're like, don't go near the water. Any water, just don't go near the water. Uh, so <laughs> I imagine they probably get stuff like that coming in. But, you know, I guess alligators don't swim in deep water, do they?
1: There are stories of, well, it's mostly crocodiles, but they're in the crocodile family of crocodiles who swam the entire Atlantic or Pacific Ocean to go from one continent to another.
0: Well, that's terrifying, and I'll pretend like you didn't say that. Yeah. So, no, yeah, it's true. It's true. I, I <laughs> and don't know then, that these alligators swim long distances, though. I'm, yeah, I don't know. I'm certainly not an alligatorologist, but I imagine they want to stay in their swampy, shitty water, not this crystal, crystal clear, crystalline. Because uh,
1: it does crystal. seem like an, a, the, uh, one of the chief survival strategies of alligators is to try to remain unseen as it, it's often as possible. looking like a giant
0: piece of poop underwater. That's yeah. really kind of the whole thing. So, I imagine anybody underwater would see them coming from a mile away if the water looked like this.
1: Yeah, but then what do you do? Because they're better swimmers than you are. I'm sure there's probably snipers. There's probably alligator snipers all over
0: the place. Alligator snipers. Know.
1: But yeah. Alligator I mean, snipers I mean, is the new title of this episode.
0: Alligator snipers. <laughs> <laughs> Done. We'll make it happen. So, anyway, yeah, I, this is cool. pretty cool. I was just reading it and like every, you know, I, I wanted it. I was confirmation biasing my way through it, I wanted it to be cheesy. I wanted it to be lame. And then I was like, I don't know. It's actually kind of cool. I want to go see this show. Yeah. I don't even care if my kids are there or not. I just want to go see it myself. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Kara and I are talking about after Nink this year, which is in September. You know, we have tickets for Disney World that we've actually had for almost three years now. Oh, nice. Because the pandemic disrupted our journey a couple of times. And, uh, you know, we're going to go ahead and use those. But we're not there for the full week. So we were talking about like, what? What else can we do? Is there anything else to do in Orlando or in the or in Florida? And there's a ton of stuff. Actually, I got to tell you, with the way things are going with Disney and the changes they're making and the price increases and uh, stuff like that, it's like
0: it's less appealing to me now. Yeah, as it should be. There's, yeah, there's way too many damn people there, man. There's too many people. I, almost, I like. I, I get pretty claustrophobic in, in big crowds, and I only right. wiped at a few people trying to. Run over my kids, you know, trying to get to a better yeah. fireworks. I'm, I'm kind of the
1: same the way. Plus, you know, they're they are getting pretty bad about trying to shove their politics down everyone's yeah, throat. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. so I think, I think, you know, we'll use that. And this may be the last time I go to Disney for a while, but I'm not done with Florida.
0: I want to go, yeah, so explore go. more of Florida. I do too, man. Emily's not a big Florida fan. You know, I'm like, well, she loves Disney World. Mm-hmm. That's about it. But there's so much else to do. There's so there much there. there yeah. Been. Yeah I just I would love to go and just do this roadside attraction type stuff just kind of you pull know, off and see what the, what there is.
1: Here's the thing and this goes back to that warm nostalgia thing I was talking about. I've I the older I get, the more I want to do the very touristy crap. <laughs> really. And I don't know why, but I used to just abhor that. No, yeah. I don't want to be perceived as a tourist. Sure. Uh, and I still don't, but I the older I get, the more I kind of long for the, you know, things like you know, the cheesy roadside attractions that are obviously fake mermaids or obviously fake, you know, aliens or whatever. Like I've, I've been lots of interesting places, done lots of interesting things. I've traveled a lot, as you know, and, and I've seen the world from the inside out and that some of that touristy stuff is just a money grab and it's awful, but (laughs) some of it is quaint and, it Hails back to you know a different time where people were reasonable and kind and yeah. you know and then this feels like that to me. So I hear that. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. I'm still um, well. Okay, if it's in America, then I am with you there. I'd like to go see this kind of stuff. If yeah, and it's usually cheaper. Than I think this is uniquely American Disney honestly. World. Yeah, this is Americana, right? Yeah. yeah. If I'm in another country, the last thing I want to do is their version of a tourist attraction. Yeah, because um, it's a carnival ride, so you don't know if it's going to kill you or not half the time. Because they don't have the same standards for safety in some Although, of these countries. Here in the US, um, <laughs>
1: sometimes that's true. Here, no, United. that's what I'm
0: saying. It's like car- carnival rides here. It's like yeah. that's what you get, you know, overseas. Some, but the other thing too is I, I, I think I, I just want the culture when I go somewhere. Yeah, and the best way to experience. Now I'm American, so I don't need more American culture because I get it. I want a hamburger just like everybody else. But when I go to Mexico, when I go to, you know, Puerto Rico or whatever it is down, you know, Caribbean or even Hawaii, because it's pretty much a third world country still. I just want to walk around in the throng of of locals, you yeah. know, to yeah. eat the street food. I want to go to the local restaurants. I want right. to do what they're doing, uh, because that is the best. That's that's the best attraction for me yeah. is getting a really uh, to live in the culture and experience it. I am want to speak their language if I can. But, yeah, in America, it's, if I go to Florida, I'm just like trying to just dodge alligators in Florida, man. Uh, and, 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 it, and yeah. mosquitoes
1: and <laughs> I'm pretty damn sure that at some point mosquitoes and alligators have interbred and now we have these little flying buzzing alligators everywhere <laughs> there's a book idea there is a book idea there's a book idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah well nice. cool all right well that's it that's settled i'm good I'm doing that in Florida now I love it great we'll story do it. let's do it we'll be in the we'll be in the state at around the, at the exact same time the exact same time yeah, yeah we can stay an extra day probably we're staying. We're gonna stay for the for probably the full week after. So
0: yeah. So we do this the, the last day or something. That'd be kind of fun. Anyway, yeah. that's no one else needs to hear our unique plans. Yeah, but, uh, you don't need
1: to know where I'm gonna be <laughs> when. <laughs>
0: <You> know, <there laughs> we are anyway. Yeah, this is good. This is good stuff, man. I I always enjoy this talking about what science actually should be and is, and yeah. uh, and then making up some stuff on our own. That's what this is all for. Yeah, and some writing ideas came out of it. Flying alligators.
1: Flying alligators. Tiny. Little buzzing flying alligators, though. tiny little
0: ones with the little tiny dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. We're like, you're not afraid of one of them, they're cute, yeah. But but they come at you in a horde and you're dead. <laughs> a swarm <laughs> of gators, yeah. Every that was years,
1: uh, uh, James James uh Amazonia had that swarm of mutated piranha, same, yeah. Same yeah, idea. he had all
0: kinds of fun stuff in that one, yeah. That was cool,
1: flying piranha or ground crawling piranha or something like that, it was <laughs> right. Terrifying. Terrifying. Well,
0: my dogs are losing it, which means it's time All right. to check this show. That's
1: the signal, everyone.
0: That's the signal. Well, we thank you for listening as always. We are available for chatting and hearing your ideas of things that are stuff that's cool that you didn't know was cool, but also is real. Or did I get that backwards? Stuff that's real that you didn't know was real, but also is <laughs> <was> cool. <laughs> you
1: didn't know was cool.
0: <laughs> no. uh, <laughs> nope. None of that here. Nope, nope, none of that. Yeah. So send us uh send us, drop us a line. Uh hello at stuff that's real.com you can go to the website stuff that's real.com i'm sure there's some way our web developer has put up a contact form or something and if not he should probably get on that anyway you know lazy find us there and uh, we are so glad you're listening if you are but if you're not we're so glad you downloaded it because it helps our stats either way yeah. keep doing it we will talk to at you soon i'm nick with kevin saying we'll see you around see stuff that's real Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think, from mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching, dramatic action-adventure novels. Our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages, eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers you won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str.